Hey guys, Gary here. I'm interrupting your regularly scheduled program to introduce you to a new thrilling podcast called Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou. For almost two decades, DEA agent Chad Scott stopped at nothing to put drug dealers behind bars. He controlled a web of snitches and played people like pawns. His successes earned him awards from his superiors, but his willingness to bend rules made enemies of his fellow agents and gave him a terrifying reputation on the streets. He was known by a variety of names, the Golden Boy, the Big Dog, or the White Devil. Eventually, Chad is betrayed by a presumed ally and his life is overturned. Investigators go over his career with a fine-toothed comb asking questions like, is Chad Scott the greatest DEA agent in the South or is he really a criminal? My experience is that every undercover, whether it's a local cop or a federal agent, everyone I've ever worked with were pretty unique characters. It takes a certain kind of person to do this. I've seen guys that just phoned it in and came back with nothing but maybe some low-hanging fruit. They quickly go to the administrative squad. But then there's guys like this Chad Scott. We might call these guys a cowboy or a loose cannon, depending on who was talking about them, you know. If they were our peer, we might call them a cowboy. But if you're upper management, you probably call them a loose cannon. In my experience, DEA has about equal cowboys and the rest are relegated to support roles. I worked with one DEA agent who was older and had done his thing when he was younger, and he had a ton of informants. He started working on a guy who claimed to be mob-connected, so the agent came to us and the intelligence unit and get a little support and find out about this guy. We couldn't find out anything about him. And the agent had an informant already close to the guy, and he was making small buys, control buys where, you know, they monitor him, they search him, send him in, he makes a small buy of his marijuana, and then he comes back, they take the marijuana, they take the tape, the tape recorder off of him, and they transcribe the tape, and they make one case. Finally, the informant was in tight enough with this supposed mob guy that he could introduce in somebody else who wanted to make a big buy, like 50 pounds. That informant was never the kind of guy that would make a 50-pound buy, but he claimed that he knew somebody who was. So the DEA had a young woman who was cowboy or cowgirl, depending on <laughs> that was in the situation. She was a cowgirl. She was bold, I tell you what. She liked to drink and party, too. She was bold. And good luck. The introduction went okay, but this supposed mob associate, he just kept wanting to meet her at various bars for drinks and hit on her and kept promising that he was going to get a 50 pound load. He had it coming. You know, he just kept stringing her along, stringing her along. And it seemed like it was just an excuse to meet her and hit on her. In the end, she got in his face. She got all up in his face, called him all kinds of names and because and he wasn't producing anything. And she was bold enough and aggressive enough that she caught him and and he just you know we may mumble some excuses and then she just stormed out the dea found that this dude was a relocated informant from another city and they were told they had to drop the investigation this guy just disappeared from the city now this female agent will go on to make a lot of cases for him and, and like i said she was bold there's a difference in being bold being a cowboy a cowgirl a loose cannon in the end, she was just bold. Those loose cannons and those cowboys, they don't they don't really last that long. We had one guy that was uh, went under after being assigned to the DEA. He was a Kansas City policeman. He went under and got assigned to a DEA task force, and they gave him all kinds of money and support and everything, and, and very little supervision. He Pretty soon, he became hard to find. Turns out, he'd gotten in tight with a guy that had a massage parlor who was a connected guy, which, you know, sounds good, but what we didn't know is this guy was dealing in stolen coins from some somebody that had ripped off a coin dealership somewhere outside the city. Our guy, undercover, ended up with a bunch of those coins and and did not turn them in he's also in the end we learned that he was he was buying some drugs 
but he was doing drugs. He was doing marijuana to fit in, and he was doing pills and and basically living their life. You know, you know his his story was in the end that that he needed to do this in order to keep the investigation going. When eventually we learned that from the massage parlor, he liked those happy endings those girls gave. Whenever they the investigation came down, why they started turning people, and when they turn. <laughs> this Chad Scott learned when people start turning and they find out that you are, you have been an informant or you're a, a cop, an undercover cop, they're going to turn on you. They're going to give you up in a second. Guy caught a case in this one outside, away from this investigation, totally some member of this little group caught a case and then he started giving up people and he gave up this policeman and, and he ended up doing a little time and, and DEA, of course, they, they quickly washed their hands of him as usual. This deal about an agent doing drugs to maintain their cover is kind of a real problem. I had a crew once that was working with DEA and they were working on another low-level mob guy. This guy's name was Tommy Russo. Tommy was selling some cocaine out of his bar. He had a nightclub. And so to get next to him, we had an undercover team of two guys and two gals that would go in and out of this bar. And sometimes they'd go in together or they'd see each other in there like they accidentally met up, but they'd know each other and support for each other. And it was a, this bar was a pretty wild and woolly place. And one of the guys was, you know, he was really one of the best undercovers I ever saw. And he could make friends with anybody. And he quickly made small, small cocaine buys, but nothing from our target. Our target, Russo, he was real standoffish and he was not dealing with anybody he didn't know. They didn't notice there was another, a couple that would come in the bar often, a man and a woman, and Russo always invited them to back into his office. And, you know, when they came out, they were kind of like a little more confident. And, and we kind of figured they were going back in maybe. Maybe they were going in and, and he was selling them a little bit and they'd all take a hit or, or whatever. We had a wire going at the same time and it looked at us like on the wire after we got this couple identified that they were the ones who were probably delivering marijuana, uh, cocaine into Tommy in the, his back room. So we really started focusing on them and one of the female undercovers befriended the female of this couple and they made a couple of small buys from her. And, and one night this the undercover female found herself in the girl's bathroom with one of the targets the female target things went downhill fast i tell you what things went downhill fast the target suggested to our undercover that the two of them take a quick hit from the cocaine that they just bought well the situation got tense fast because the undercover is like well uh, now you know uh you know i only shoot up and i don't have a rig here you know it's all out in the car i'll you know i'll just go out in the car and shoot up and here you know have some of this Boy, from then on, they got the cold shoulder. It was That case was over. To maintain a cover story, not using drugs can be a deal breaker, and you can't go any further. And, you know, it's pretty common. A lot, of, a lot of guys develop, and gals, they develop a way to make it look like they're doing something. I think a lot of them, like, maybe do a little bit of something. Now, cops and, and agents both, they're going to get drug tested. All law enforcement agencies, after they started the drug testing, just had this random drug test. So you know, it's a tough deal. It's not worth it, I guess, to lose your job or get in a whole bunch of trouble. In the end, you, you never know what's coming on down the road. In this investigation, in the end, one of the other small buys that were made from somebody who wasn't even a target they turned, they went to her and they turned her and then she made an introduction to who she was getting her cocaine from that she was selling around at different bars. It's an individual sales. She'd like to, you know, make a little extra money, pay for her drinking, her party in that night by selling a little bit. She made an introduction to her seller 
they made a buy from that person. And when they confronted them with this potential Salem narcotics arrest because she had sold them cocaine, she broke down. She was like the agent and the officer were standing in her kitchen drinking a cup of coffee and she turned around to get something out of a cabinet. She said, oh, by the way, I sold a kilo to Tony Mike Nigro. And they, I tell you what, I'd like to see those guys. They, their jaws dropped. You know why these were undercovers? They were just, it was just the fruits of one small buy that led to another small buy. Turned out she had a connection from Colombians down in Florida with another guy, another guy that was connected to the mob here in Kansas City. And they were bringing out four or five kilos at a time to Kansas City and then sell it out to some of the other dealers in the different discos, things like that, places like that. So my point is, in the end, it's not worth the risk to go over the hill, as we used to call it, or try to live the life of a drug user when you're working narcotics undercover, because you never know. You just do the best you can. Because remember, once one of your targets catches a case, they're looking to deal. Many times, they're, gonna, they're looking to deal. In this world, this ain't Omerta. This ain't the mob. They're looking to deal. And if they can find a cop they can deal, whoever's working the case is my experience is not going to, they're going to go for it. They are going to know better, you know, they want a bag of cop. You, you just got to watch what you're doing and not do anything. Uh, we had one guy that started working a case, you know, one, one last story here, an example of that is uh, we had a guy that started working. He wasn't really working narcotics. He was just hanging out at this bar that a mob guy owned. Actually, his mob guy's son owned it, but a lot of mob guys at Savellas would go in there. Uh, the owner, he was a relative of the Savella, a guy named Butch Savella, but he was never really, he was never made, he, he never really got involved in the mob business. He just, he ran clubs and all the mob guys would go to his clubs. Our guys started partying with a the bouncer there and they would even go party away from the bar that our mob guy owned, they would go out to other bars. After that bar closed down, they go out to other bars. There were th had three o'clock licenses and partying and getting girls and a whole nine yards. He was really living that life. But when a case came down, they brought the bouncer in to uh, the grand jury and he refused to talk. And then they were going to give him a case. But then he asked for a trial on the case. And then he, he figured out by that time the, who the undercover was. And that undercover found himself on the stand being accused of snorting cocaine, trying to, you know, to throw up all the stuff they could to, to keep from getting a conviction. Swore he didn't do it. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, it wasn't drug tested, I don't think, during that time. So there's uh, anything can go wrong in these undercover investigations and narcotics investigations. There's just so much money out there. And undercovers are they're like kind of some of them can be glory hounds, the kind of egomaniacs. And, and because you got to be you got to be that kind of person to do that. And this Chad Scott, I got a feeling was a real egomaniac. He wanted to be king of the roost back in the unit and sometimes you do that you, you you go too far and then there's money out there and there's drugs and then you you compromise yourself and you got to compromise yourself again to cover up the original compromise but th this podcast is really interesting i want you to listen to a little clip of it now chad scott was the dea's golden boy but his right hand men were a little too interested in the product you're a drug cop who occasionally uses drugs right how do you work that out in your mind? It'll enter in your mind a couple times. It didn't really with the X or the Molly. Now, method would enter my mind. You would. When they're caught dealing drugs, they flip on Chad and confess everything to the FBI. But what the feds find is a lot more complicated than drug dealing. Listen to Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou, wherever you get your podcast. So guys, just remember, 
Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou is a podcast about a former DE agent named Chad Scott. So guys, remember, this is a podcast called Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou. You can get it on Apple or any of your normal podcast apps. I've been listening to it, and it's a great story. It's about a former DE agent named Chad Scott who for 20 years had been putting drug dealers in jail. He's immensely successful in that world. He had tons of snitches. And he played people, and he, his successes got him all kinds of awards. And he, he bent the rules a lot, and he made enemies with his fellow agents. And believe me, folks, that can happen to you. When you're immensely successful, other people are looking to tear you down. This is just like any other company that you work at. He had a terrifying reputation on the street. He had a variety of, of nicknames, as I said before, Golden Boy, Big Dog, The White Devil. And he's betrayed by somebody he thought was his ally, and, and everything goes downhill after that, and they go after him. From Neon Hum and Sony Music Entertainment, listen and follow Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou, wherever you get your podcast. So look out for motorcycles when you're out on the road, and if you have a problem with PTSD, be sure and go to that VA website. And if you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, our friend Anthony Ruggiano is down there in Florida, has, works at a treatment center. And if you'll go to his website, anthonyruggiano.com or Reformed Gangsters or something, just search for Anthony Ruggiano on YouTube and you'll find it. And if you're on YouTube, you can see the hotline number. Anyhow, use Anthony Ruggiano. I mean, it could be a big help to you. And last but not least, don't forget to like and subscribe and give me a review and Keep coming back, folks. We got more stories for you. Thanks a lot, guys.